great way uh, to usher in our discussion about his name shall be called. Thank you, choir, so much. Thank you, Evan. Uh, so appreciative of the hard work you guys put in every single week to lead us. And uh, man, what a great way to prepare our hearts as we open up uh, the word of the Lord this morning and spend some time together talking about what a wonderful name, a name that we know as Jesus. If you would, you have a Bible, would you open it to Isaiah chapter number nine? Isaiah chapter number Nine. We have started a new series kind of for our Christmas season called uh, His Name Shall Be Called. We are, of course, talking about Jesus. What, uh, what better person to talk about always, but certainly during the Christmas season. And we are looking at some of the different descriptions that we find in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, as you're turning there, uh, I thought this week I was processing through some, some scriptures and some things that we would talk about this morning, and I was really just kind of reflecting on my life as a kid. When I was a kid, I played a lot of different sports uh, growing up. Now, that's probably true for a lot of you that are in this room this morning. As a matter of fact, if there was a ball involved, if there was competition of any kind that took place, I wanted to play. I wanted to be a part of what was happening whether it was baseball or basketball or football or tennis or track or even the one time that I tried to be on the wrestling team, although I won't uh, explain what happened with that one, uh, I played a lot of sports growing up. In fact, this is still uh, somewhat true in my life even after uh, I was a kid. Uh, I love shooting basketball still to this day. As a matter of fact, every church that uh, I've ever served in uh, typically had some sort of a gym or recreational center, and we'd play basketball, men's league, pretty much every, uh, every week. One night of the week, we'd all get together, and uh, I can think of different church league uh, basketball games and the many different fights that would happen among church people at the basketball games. Uh, I've played in so many different church softball leagues over the year. I've played in numerous golf tournaments, although I'm, I'm no Maurice Jones uh, by any means, uh, but I've played in a few tournaments. By the way, I wanted to highlight this. I've got a new nickname for Maurice. This has nothing to do with anything, but I want it to catch on. My new nickname for him is Mojo. So if that could just stick with our church. I, I want us to no longer know Maurice Jones, but only to know Mojo uh, from now on. Anyway, I, I can't play golf like him, uh, but I can't outlast him uh, standing on a golf course. So I got you, I got you beat there, uh, Mojo. Uh, I've played in numerous tennis leagues. Matter of fact, one of the most recent uh, sports that I've grown to love is a sport called pickleball. Now, I, I'm not trying to give you a, a, a description of all the things that I love. I just wanted to, to mention this for, for a couple of reasons, uh, mostly because uh, of all the sports that I've played and teams that I've been on over the years, there is one particular guy that always stands out in my memories. This is a guy that I played football with in high school, and I think I remember him most for a couple of different reasons. Number one, he was a running back whose last name was Rush. Now, for those of you who care about football, uh, you would think, man, what more fitting name for a running back than the name uh, Rush? It really doesn't get much better than that. Number two, uh, he was the best player that I have ever played with or played against. Now, I only say play against because tackling him in practice was absolutely brutal. Now, this particular guy, he was pretty much our entire offense. 
Uh, this team's a traditional, you know, old school kind of high school football team. And what I mean by that is that when, when we had anything, if we, if we were on offense, there was one thing that we were going to do. We were going to run the ball. If you were the coach of the other team, here's what you knew. We were going to run the ball. If you were on our team or one of the you know, coaches on our staff, here's what you knew. We were going to run the ball. If you were any fan that was in the stands, if you came and watched one of our games or you played against us, here's what you knew. We were going to run the ball right at you every single play on offense. But listen, with Josh Rush running the ball, good luck trying to stop it even though you knew that it was coming right at you. Listen, to know what we were going to do was different than to actually try to stand in this guy's way. He was a powerful runner with the ball in his hands. As a matter of fact, here was our game plan every single week. Give Josh the ball. That was the game plan. I can imagine the coaches spending hours and hours looking at film and looking at the other teams and wondering what we were going to do and prepping us for our assignments when really, here's the picture I had of them when they were sitting in their coaches' meetings every single week, the year that I played with Josh Rush. Here's what they did. Here's our offensive scheme, guys. It's going to be new. It's going to be original. It's going to be creative. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to give Josh the ball. Now, you don't know Josh, and listen, I haven't seen Josh in years. As a matter of fact, if Josh, by some reason, is watching or listening, I want you to reach out to me soon. I miss you, buddy. Let's have a conversation. But the idea, give Josh the ball, makes me think about one of the descriptions, one of the names that Isaiah gives to Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Look at it with me. For to us, this is what Isaiah wrote, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now last week we dealt with Wonderful Counselor, and this week we're looking at another uh, prophetic name for Jesus or description, which is worded Mighty God. Now, the prophetic name for Jesus that we read there comes from two Hebrew words. They're pretty simple. The words are El Gibor. El Gibor. Now, the word El simply means God. The word can refer to any person given divine status, and it's a generic name for God and was used often in combination with other words to describe God throughout the Old Testament. Many of them you've probably heard before, such as El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, or El Elyon, the Most High God, or even a more common name for God, El Ohim. This is why the description is translated Mighty God has the word El in it. But the word for mighty is the word Gibor, and it is a much more fascinating word. It can be translated as mighty or as strong. Those are pretty simplistic of what the word means. But the word can also mean more specifically hero, champion, or warrior. Now, I don't know about you who are in the room this morning, but that is exactly how I think when I think about Jesus. I think hero, champion, warrior. Now, as we think about this description, I want us to stop for just a moment and think about it in the context in which Isaiah is writing in chapter number nine. 
Isaiah, at this point in time in his prophetic ministry, is speaking to the southern kingdom known as Judah. Now, for those uh, biblical historians in the room, this is during the time in which the kingdom of Israel was split into a northern and a southern kingdom. They couldn't get along. Imagine that. So they split into two kingdoms. He spoke to the people, Isaiah spoke to the people in three different time periods. He spoke to them before the Babylonian exile, he spoke to them during the Babylonian exile, and he spoke to them after the Babylonian exile. And what he shares in Isaiah chapter 9 is before the Babylonian exile. Now he's writing during the reign of a king by the name of Ahaz in Judah. Now, Isaiah prophesied during the reign of four different kings. I want to share them with you kind of briefly. Here's the first one. His name was Uzziah. Or if you read in other uh, parts of the Bible, he might be referred to as Azariah. He had two names that were associated with him. He became king at the age of 16. How many people in the room are 16 right now? Raise your hand. If you're 16, raise your hand. We don't have any. We don't have a single 16-year-old. You're just terrified. One, oh, this is awkward because everybody's looking at the one 16-year-old. All right, so we got one. That's good. Could you imagine right now, Jake, could you imagine if you were king of the nation? Yeah, that'd be a little awkward, right? I agree. I trust you, though. I'd be, I'd be pro you, man, for sure. Anyway, Uzziah becomes king at the age of 16. I want to read to you what 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 4 says about Uzziah. Just listen to it. It says, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Now, the thing about Uzziah that he's most known for is an unfortunate death. For those uh, Old Testament scholars in the room, you'll remember Uzziah became extremely proud in his latter years and he goes into the temple and he does things that are not allowed to be done by the king. And because of that, God punished him with leprosy until he died. This is the first king that Isaiah prophesied during. The next one was a guy by the name of Jotham. Jotham became king at at the age of 25. So he was a little bit more mature and and understood fully all of life as an old 25-year-old. Second Chronicles chapter 27 verse 2 says this about Jotham. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done. As a matter of fact, later in 2 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 6, more is recorded about how great of a king Jotham was. Here's what is written. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. This was the second king that Isaiah prophesied during. Now I want to skip one because that's Ahaz. We're going to come back to him. And I want to mention the last king that Isaiah prophesied during. His name was Hezekiah. He also became king at the good old uh, mature age of 25. 2 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 2 records this about Hezekiah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Now, I hope you're seeing a pattern here. Of all these kings, at least three out of the four are all recorded as good kings who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But between good king number two and good king number four is where we find Isaiah writing chapter nine in this book. This is during the one king that wasn't like the others. This was during the reign of the evil king 
Ahaz. Now you say, Danny, why was he evil? Well, I'm so glad you asked me that question. We find it in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Let me read to you a little bit about the life of King Ahaz. It's recorded Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. If you read about the different kings that are ruling in Israel versus the ones in Judah, here's what you typically discover. The kings in Israel were really bad, and the kings in Judah were mostly good, but not the case for Ahaz. Here's what it goes on to say. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Now listen to me. I'm not trying to give you a history lesson on the Old Testament or the kings of, of long ago. All I want you to do is get into your mind the context in which Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus. The nation was experiencing destruction. They are on the brink of captivity because of a wicked leader by the name of King Ahaz. And people were thinking, where is God? Where is his greatness that we had seen over the years? Now let me help put this into perspective. Think about for them, the, the Jews that are, that are undergoing what's happening in Isaiah chapter 9, think about what probably came to their minds as they thought about their own history with a mighty God. Think about creation. God spoke and everything was made that was made. Think about the flood. God wants to cleanse the world of sin, so he floods the entire world. Think about Abraham and Sarah, who, who God's people trace their lineage back to. God wants to start a nation of his own, so he chooses a couple. One of them's 100 years old, the other one is 90 years old, and he says, I'm gonna give you a child, and through that child, I'm gonna bless the nations. And Abraham's response was like many of you in this room, he laughs when he hears this. So is the power of God. Think about the exodus from Egypt. God shows his power through incredible plagues, through parting the Red Sea, through a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, through dropping bread from heaven, through bringing water from a rock. Think about the conquest of Joshua. God knocks down the walls of the greatest fortified city by playing music and shouting. Think about the judges. Shamgar, who killed 600 Philistines with an axe Goat, or Gideon, who God used to defeat the Midianites by bringing the army of his people from 30,000 down to 300 in order to defeat over 130,000. Or what about Samson, who killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey and collapsed a building on 3,000 Philistines with his bare hands? Think about the king that all of them revered. Think about David, who God used a young shepherd boy to take down the greatest warriors in history with a sling and some simple stones. Now think about this. This is their heritage. They're in the midst of a wicked king looking at destruction all around them and they're thinking, mighty God? Who is this you speak of? Man, certainly if God could do all these great things and even more than what I've mentioned, then he could rid the nation of this wicked king. 
He could show his power again. This is the context for this description, mighty God. They knew what God could do. They knew what he had done before. They knew some of the most important characteristics of God, especially as it pertained to his power and his ability. They knew that he was omniscient. He knew every single thing there was to know. He was full of knowledge and understanding. They knew he was omnipresent. There was nowhere that he was not. God is everywhere. They knew that he was omnipotent, that he was almighty, all-powerful. This is where his description comes from. Mighty God, El Gibor. Now, in, in no way, Am I comparing an old high school running back to the mighty God who is Jesus? But what I did think about as I was processing through this description of Jesus and the context of Isaiah, when I was thinking about Josh Rush and our game plan in high school to give him the ball, you know what I got to thinking about? What would it look like in our lives if that's what we did to Jesus? What if we just gave him the ball? What if we just decided that, you know what? He's mighty. He's great. He's all powerful. I'm not, but he is. What if I decided that the greatest game plan that I could have for my life is to just give Jesus the ball. Listen, Josh was our only offensive plan. He was the best player, most powerful runner. Most importantly, he was the best we had to give the ball to if we were going to be successful against any team we played. Friends, is this not true about Jesus when it comes to us being successful in this life? He's the best player, the most powerful. Most importantly, he is our only chance at being successful in this life. The best game plan we have is to give Jesus the ball. Why? Because he is the mighty God. Now you say, Danny, what are you talking about? Well, listen, you don't have to just take my word for it, although I could go on and on and on about the ways in which Jesus is our mighty God. But I want to show you the power of Jesus, the El Gibor through scripture. And I want to do it in a couple of ways. Here's the first one. Jesus's power is at work for me. Can I just show you this for a second? His power, this mighty God, this El Gibor that would come and set everything right, that the government would be upon his shoulders, that he would be more powerful than anything we could ever imagine. This Jesus, his power is at work for me. It is at work for you. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, I love what John writes about Jesus in John chapter one. As a matter of fact, let me read the first five verses to you from John chapter one. Here's what he writes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What a display of the power of God. There is no greater picture of mighty God, El Gibor, than looking at Jesus. Now, don't miss the big picture of what John is writing. He said, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. As a matter of fact, Paul put it a little bit differently in some of the readings that we just had recently in our Bible reading plan. It comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Listen to this description of Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now for me, I'm reading this and I'll be honest with you, it's mind blowing. I don't know about you, but when I read things like what John wrote and what Paul wrote about Jesus, I'm not even sure that I can comprehend what all these truths mean. As a matter of fact, when I read these, when I'm going through the Bible, usually I skip over them because they're so full and so rich and so powerful that I'm like, I don't really even understand what that looks like. Jesus is the very power of God at work. And listen, here's where it gets beautiful. John continues in chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. Let me read them to you. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The mighty God, the El Gibor, the strong, mighty, powerful hero, champion, warrior that is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, who created all things by him, in him, through him, is at work for you. As a matter of fact, listen to how Paul continues to describe Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Listen, I know it's a lot, but just go with me. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, don't miss this, through him, to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen, the mighty God, the, the El Gibor, the mighty warrior champion has fought on our behalf to conquer sin and death so that we could have peace with God and we could live with him forevermore. His death defeated sin in the grave. His resurrection brought us life. First Corinthians 15, listen to this. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this today, friend, but victory can be yours today too if you will trust in the power of God at work for you through Jesus. Paul wrote it like this to the church at Rome. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to every everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You might be guilty like I am today, thinking about wanting to see God do things like he did in the Old Testament. I want to see him part a sea or bring down food from heaven or defeat giants. But can I tell you something, friends? The greatest power of God can be seen every day as we watch him break the chains of sin and darkness in people's lives through Jesus. His power is at work for me and for you. What if we would just give him the ball? Let me show you the second thing about Jesus' power. Not only is it at work for me, but Jesus' power is at work in me. Not just for me, but in me. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Here's what he said. Therefore, my beloved, 
as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's at work in me? Who's at work in you? Well, if you are a follower of Jesus who surrender their lives to him because you realize that he's been working for you so that you can have a relationship with God, it gets even better because he doesn't just work for you. His power works in you to make you more like Jesus every single day. Listen, oftentimes when people become Christians, they think that God's going to make everything in their life perfect. They believe that God's going to place them on top of the world and give them everything that they've ever wanted. But here's what we see from Philippians. God doesn't want to make everything around us work for us. He wants to make everything within us work for him. You see the difference? It's not that everything around us would work for us. It's that everything within us would begin to work for him. His desire is to change us to be more like Christ. He wants to rid us of selfishness and self-centeredness into people who love and are compassionate and are willing to live like Jesus in the world. I don't know if you get this way, but I know I do. I read awesome stories from the Old Testament and I wonder how God is still working today. Or I read about some of the awesome miracles of Jesus in the Gospels or the work of the early church in Acts. And here's what I think. Why isn't God still doing those things today? And here's what I would say to you, friends. He is, and even more so. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, personally, he's making you more like Jesus every single day. And if that's not a work that's great enough in itself, around the world, there are churches being planted and people hearing the gospel for the first time. There are numerous ways that God is working in people and churches and church networks throughout the power of Jesus, our mighty God, our El Gibor. The question is really this, how is he at work in you? How is his power being displayed in your life? Now, I'm not talking about how you are impacting the world. It's not our strength. It's not our might that accomplishes God's work. It's his. I'm talking about how you're allowing the power of God to work in you through Jesus. Listen, Isaiah would put it like this later in chapter number 40. He would write these words. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, we don't have to rely on our own strength. We can rely on the strength of the Lord. He's giving us all we need through Jesus. I love how Paul illustrated this truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he wrote these words. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, here's what Paul wrote. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, 
I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The El Gibor, the mighty strong warrior champion hero is at work for me and for you. He is at work in me and in you. What if we would just give him the ball? But can I show you this last one? Here's, here's, here's the last way I want you to see Jesus' power. Jesus' power not only is at work for me, it's not only at work in me, but can I show you something? Jesus' power is at work through me. And listen, not just me. Jesus' power is at work through you. I love the way Jesus himself puts this truth to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus has certainly worked for me. There's no way that I would have a relationship with God if it were not for the work of Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. Second Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. His power has worked on my behalf. And listen, Jesus has certainly worked in me. I'm not the same person I was when I first met Jesus. He's been changing me and making me more like himself. Second Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But listen, friends, if there's one thing I've learned through my years with Jesus, it's this. God is working for you and in you so that he can work through you. He never changed you just to stop there. He saved you so that you could serve him. As a matter of fact, the first person who always comes to my mind is the Apostle Paul. From someone who was killing Christians to meeting Jesus and now leading other people to Christ and planting churches and seeing the world evangelized, what a change, right? What a power that must be at work in him. It was an incredible turnaround of how God wants to use our lives when we surrender them to him. You know what happened? Paul gave Jesus the ball. He said, I can't do it. I'm tired of trying my own way. If I'm going to be successful, if it's going to work, I've got to give Jesus the ball. In fact, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. He said this, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the spirit of God. You know what we know about Paul? He was going to speak to everyone about Jesus. You know what we should know about us? That we're going to do the same exact thing. We are to be witnesses for Jesus as he uses us to tell the world about him. We've been saved in order to serve and in order to share. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite moments in scripture is when Peter is speaking to some of the religious leaders of his day in Acts chapter 4. As a matter of fact, at Brotherhood Breakfast this morning, uh, Brother, Brother Jerry Duffy shared with us his testimony. And all I could think about in those moments, he kept, somebody, somebody threw out the phrase, Dr. Duffy, and, and we all kind of laughed a little bit, for those of us who know uh, Brother Jerry. 
But I thought to myself when he was sharing and talking about how it wasn't about him and he really made more mistakes than, than he ever did good and he's just trying to follow Jesus. Here's what I thought about. I thought about ordinary people trying to follow Jesus. I thought about Acts chapter four. I thought about Peter. Listen, they didn't wanna hear about Jesus. They didn't wanna hear from some lowly fisherman like Peter, but that's exactly why they couldn't deny what God was doing. It was because an all-powerful God would choose to work through a simple guy like Peter. Now, I don't know if you remember what they said, but I'm gonna remind you. It comes in Acts chapter four, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the word for common that's used here is the Greek word idiotai. Now, I hope that starts ringing some bells in your mind for an English word, which is where we get the word idiot from. There was nothing special about those guys except for one thing. You know what it was? They had been with Jesus. Hey, what about you today, friend? Have you been with Jesus? And is it evident to everyone else that the mighty God, the El Gibor, has been at work through you? As I prepared for today, I was reminded of something that Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 32. Here's what he wrote. He said, ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Listen to what he continues to say. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. Oh, great and mighty God. There's El Gibor again, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and outstretched arm and with great terror. I feel like Jeremiah in the beginning of this moment actually screams. Now in your translation, I don't know what it might read in Jeremiah 32 verse 17, but in mine, it has the word A-H. And here's how I read that. Ah! Now I don't know how Jeremiah was actually saying it, but can I tell you something? If he was screaming, I can relate to that moment. I know the power of God. I know what he can do. And in moments of life that have been hard and the struggle has been real, you know what I found myself doing? Ah, right? I found myself screaming. But we can say, as Jeremiah did, that even though things may not seem great, our God has great power and there's nothing too hard for him. As a matter of fact, if you're going to scream, you might as well scream out to God. And maybe, just maybe, that's exactly what we should all be doing this morning. Maybe we should all take a few moments and call out to God. 
Listen, I wonder if you're here this morning, you've never realized that the same power of God that you've read about in the Old Testament is at work through the power of Jesus to save you from your sins. Can I invite you to do something today, friends? If that's you and you're realizing this moment right now, can I just, can I invite you to something? You can surrender your life to him today because Jesus's power is at work for you. Can I tell you something, that El Gibor word, that mighty God description of Jesus way back several hundreds of years, years ago in Isaiah chapter nine, can I tell you something? We don't have to just think about the prophecy. It's happened. His name is Jesus and he has made a way for us to be right with God. If you're in this room this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, can I tell you something friends? It's your fault and nobody else's. The work's already been done. The power's already been displayed. Will you simply choose this morning to give Jesus the ball and surrender your life to him? You can. Or you might be here this morning, you've never realized or you've forgotten that Jesus's power is at work in you. That same incredible power that we read about in the Bible is at work in you every day to make you more like Jesus. How are you, friend, allowing God to work his power in your life? Maybe this morning you need to remember that Jesus is the one who needs the ball, and maybe you need to fall on your face like Jeremiah did and just say, ah, God, here I am. I can't do it. I can't make it. Will you work in me? Or listen, you might be here this morning and God really wants you to know that his power is at work, not just for you and in you, but through you. He's been wanting to use you to impact the world for him, but you still keep chasing after your own way. Would you be willing to seek out how Jesus's power is at work through you? Listen, I don't know what God's showing you this morning, but I do know this. The power of God is best seen through the work of Jesus. Would you finally be willing to give Jesus the ball? He's your and my, by the way, only chance at being successful in this life. Maybe today you need to call out to El Gibor, our mighty God, our mighty strong warrior champion hero. Maybe today you need Jesus more than you ever have. Can I confess something? Me too. Maybe you need to remember how mighty he is and the work that he wants to do in your life. May we respond to that God that we serve. Jesus, we love you. You're awesome. Thank you.